Thank you, Belinda. Thank you, Belinda. She is so passionate. She's just, the rain is awesome. <laughs> She's, <laughs> it is great. Um, it is great. George uh, texted me a while ago. He wanted me to communicate to you guys that he's praying for you and loves you. And uh, he's looking forward to seeing you again when he gets back. He's uh, doing well. Um, wanted to start off, the, the next two weeks we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, which uh, since I was a teenager has been my favorite book of the Bible. Um, and it's, uh, it's probably, it may be the most, it's one of the most misunderstood books of the Bible. I mean, numbers is pretty difficult too. But, you know, the little biblical humor back there. The Ecclesiastes is a roadmap for hope. And uh, you, to get to hope, Solomon takes us to some pretty dark places. And I was a freshman in college. I went to Baylor. And, uh, yeah, sick him. And um, my freshman year, a bunch of, th three other guys and myself decided we were going to take a road trip. And so we took off to Florida because one of the guys' father had a beach house in Florida. And so we're like, hey, let's, let's do the road trip thing to Florida. A couple of our, uh, they were not girlfriends, but friends who were girls, decided to caravan with us. And they, they split off and went to Pensacola, and we went down to Sarasota. But we're traveling together through, you know, the 24-hour drive to get to where we're going. So we get into Louisiana <clears throat> about 9 o'clock at night, and we stop at this place called Mulites, just because we wanted to stop there. I don't know why I said that. Not important. But, but one person thought, hey, let's, let's get off the interstate and like go and see the scenery in Louisiana at night. You know, which there's not a lot to see in Louisiana in the first place. I mean, swamps are cool and all. But at night, there's really nothing to see except darkness. I mean, there's nothing. And, and so, but hey, this is great. So sure, we're on an adventure. We're all freshmen in college. We really know nothing. And so we take off, and we're riding, we're driving down these ridgeback roads. And this was, of course, we didn't have a map. Uh, you know, this was way before cell phones and GPS and all that. And we're just driving off into the swamps. And before long, we are hopelessly lost, like, we have no idea where we are or where we're going, and we have no idea how to get back to where we came from, and it's getting later and later, and then it's getting earlier and earlier, because the, you know, it's, and so at about three o'clock in the morning, I'm, I'm starting to get nervous, because I'm like, the swamp people are going to get us if we keep driving. You know, they're going to put a couch across the road. I know how this works. They're going to put a couch across the road. We're going to stop, and they're going to put something behind us, and we're going to be stuck. You know, it's, so... We decide, okay, here's what we're going to do. We've got to stop at the first place that we can stop because it's just getting later and, you know, again. And there, the problem was that there was nothing because, you know, in the swamps, there's nothing. I mean, the, you're on, the, the road was raised above the swamps. And so, anyway, we're just driving along, and we come across this place called Bob's Motel. Classy. Um, and, I mean, it was the only thing anywhere. And it was, a, and it was a sign. I mean, so we're like, okay, well, we're going to stop because we're so tired. It's like 3, this, by this time it's 3.30 in the morning. And I get elected to be the person to go and ring the doorbell because it's like a place where I guess Bob lives there, you know. And that's how you, and so I go and ring the doorbell and it was a buzzer, which is even worse. You know, it's great. And I'm standing there and the door, the door opens to the office and it's this, this lady who, I don't know if you guys will know what I'm talking about, but have you seen Large, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Large Marge? It was her. I mean, she was, Large Marge worked at Bob's Motel. I mean, her hair was like this big, and she was, I mean, it was, she was scary. And right in that, she looked at us like, 
And at that moment, I realized what we looked like. We got four guys and two girls checking into a motel at 3.30 in the morning. You know, I'm like, great, you know, but whatever, we still need to stop. And so she takes us, walks us across the parking lot, go into the room. You get in the room, and the chair has three legs, you know, and the desk is bolted to the, or, you know, screwed to the wall. We go back, and we're, I mean, we're just like, oh, just finally got a place to stop. And so we go get to the, to the bathroom, and the water smells like sewage. And so it's just, it's terrible. And so I didn't know that rubberized sheets were a real thing until I checked into Bob's Motel. They really exist, and they were on the beds. And so, I mean, just, oh. And we pulled, the, we pulled the sheets back, and there was hair in the bed. And I mean, we just, at that point, I'm just like trying to be as small as possible. Like, just don't touch me with the air in this room. It's awful. So we step out, and uh, my buddy, who's a budding photographer, and you know how those people are when they get there. They're like, everything's supposed to be chronicled, you know, and so... We're standing there in the parking lot, just parking lot, just going, you know, I just don't. And I look over across the road, and there was a like a junkyard over there in the swamps. Like cars were piled up on top of each other. And so we're like, well, how much worse can it be? Let's go look at that. So we go walking over there and we go to the gate, and my friend is walking in front of me. His name is Andy, and I see a big warning sign right here on the gate. And I just kind of reach up and I grab the back of his shirt, thinking there might be a dog, you know, which would be really awful. Um, but in the, I, I grab his shirt, and I look over to the, the other gate, and there's a big sign that says radioactive waste. I'm not exact. That really happened. Radioact, so we were at a radioactive wasteland hotel in Louisiana in the middle of the night. So we're on the way to Florida. Like, hey, spring break. Woo! You know. <laughs> so the road to Florida included some dark places. Now, the crazy thing is, you know, I, I slept in the car that night because I wasn't going to sleep in that bed. <laughs> And we got up, and I mean, we were probably five miles from the interstate. If we just kept driving, we, you know. But so we, we got out. The swamp people didn't get us. Um, the, the path to hope is similar in that it takes you to some pretty dark places. And Solomon writes this path to hope. Solomon was the third king of Israel. He was the son of David and Bathsheba. And early in his reign, he had a, he, this, this is a, he's traditionally known as the wisest man ever. Uh, and the early, you know, God approached him in a dream and said, what can I give you? And Solomon says to God in his dream, God, could you give me wisdom and discernment so that I could lead your people well? Which, by the way, is a very wise thing to ask for. He was already wise to begin with to ask for wisdom. That is, and that's just one of those side things. You can always ask God for wisdom. It's like the one prayer he will always answer. That's straight out of James. You should pray for wisdom every time you pray because he will give you wisdom. Anyway, God gave him wisdom. And Solomon um, walks through, the book of Ecclesiastes is his like, message or his, his journey to hope. So let's, let me just start off and read it. Read the, the second verse. Solomon's path to hope, Solomon's journey to hope. Ecclesiastes 1-2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Pretty hopeful. Welcome to LifePoint Church, by the way. We're going to be doing, we're going to, we're going to be doing uh, devotionals on this verse all week, so we want you, everyone to memorize it. Um, so, but the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most misunderstood books of the Bible. I said that earlier. It, because it starts off 
with this phrase. And see, it first looks, Solomon considered that life was meaningless. That was his first stop in this path to hope, that life was meaningless. And when you read Ecclesiastes, you have to read it like you're reading someone's journal. There, it's not a linear thought built upon thought, built upon thought, conclusion kind of thing. It's a journal, and he circles around these themes over and over again, and he does come to conclusions. But you have to understand the whole of it to understand his point. The, because and that's why people get lost when they read Ecclesiastes, because they read this and they think that Solomon's telling us that life is meaningless. That's, you're just reading his journal. I, I've kept journals from the time I was a teenager, and I mistakenly, a couple years ago, decided to go through them and read them. <laughs> Painful. Because, you know, it's, I was upset a lot when I was a kid, I guess, you know, because I had a lot to be upset. I, I was either some girl or something I wanted or, you know, I mean, it was always something that I was upset about. Or I was like riding high, amazing, you know, God's purpose in my life or, you know, whatever. And so the, when you read someone's journal, one day they're up here and the next day they're down here. And so when you read Ecclesiastes, you have to look at all of it to understand what he's saying. So his first point is that his first thought about life as he examines life through his wisdom is that life is meaningless. How does he get here? Well, Ecclesiastes 1.14, he, let me just read this. He says, I've seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, chasing after the wind. This is a word picture in the Hebrew. He's literally saying that life is like dust in the wind. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Got a little nervous for a second. I was going to start singing it. <laughs> Tossed in the wind. <laughs> um, how does he get here? How does he get to this point where it's like life is like dust? Well, Solomon, when you read the book, it talks about his life. He talks about his life. And he says that at first, he pursued wisdom because this was his thing, wisdom. And he realized that in the end, wisdom just increases your pain, which is true. When you understand how things are really supposed to be and you observe how things really are, it hurts. It's difficult. So then he said, you know what? Forget that I'm going to be rich, famous, and powerful, and I'm going to own a bunch of stuff. And he builds, he just builds this kingdom and builds his houses and gardens. And, and in the end, he says, you know what? I'm going to, all this stuff is just going to go to somebody after I die. It's just worthless. You can almost hear Orson Welles saying, Rosebud. One person has seen Citizen Kane. <laughs> Thank you. But you, he, he's... He has excess. I'm going to experience lots of cool things. And in the end, he says, that's just madness and folly. Just madness. And so life is, he describes the earth as this machine that just grinds us down. The sun rises and it sets. And it's just going to rise again tomorrow. The wind blows this way. The wind blows that way. Tomorrow it's going to blow this way again. And then it'll blow that way again. Always the same. The rain, it's going to fall, it's going to hit the earth, it's going to go down the rivers into the sea, and you know what, the sea is never going to be full because it's constantly, it's the same thing every day, it never changes, and I bet that some of us in this room can really relate to that. 
Whether you've gone to work in an office and you've worked a 12-hour day or whether you've stayed home and worked at home for 14 or 16 hours. You eat something in between practices. You eat something by yourself maybe. You eat something with your computer because you're working on your email and you're exhausted and so you know what, you're gonna try to watch some show on Netflix just to have some bit of entertainment and you get tired and so you know you're just gonna go to bed and you lay there and you check your email one last time before you go to bed, which you should never do, by the way. And you lay there awake, worried about that thing that you just read. And then eventually you fall asleep. And right before you fall asleep, what do we think? Tomorrow is going to start all over again. That's what Solomon observed. It's what we experience. And if that's what you see as well, you're in pretty good company. Because that's, that's how life is a lot. The path to hope takes us to this place that feels meaningless. The kicker for Solomon. He says, I've seen, this is nice, uh, chapter 9, verse 11. He says, I've seen something under the sun. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. The NASB version says, version says, time and chance overtake all. Dumb luck. Solomon observed that dumb, that dumb luck has more to do with the person's success in life than anything else. Luck. And it's offensive to him and it's offensive to us. Here where we, we tell our children you can be anything you want to be if you work hard enough and believe. And by the way, I'm not sure that that's true. I mean, that's not a real popular thing to say, but I'm not sure that it's true that you can be anything you want to be. I want to be a ballet dancer. <laughs> Kidding. Um, I mean, like, I can't be anything I want to be. I mean, I can't, you know? I'm just not, I, I, there's things that I was never going to be able to accomplish in life. Luck. And see, we can feel so secure in our ability to work and our ability to accomplish things, our ability to hit goals. We can feel so secure and so hopeful and just everything's awesome until we get cancer. Or until your brother dies. Or until your spouse gets sick and he or she doesn't get better and now you're caring for your spouse instead of having the relationship that you thought you would have. Or you have a child with special needs and so you kiss your career aspirations goodbye because your energy has to go to your children you have to have a job that you can manage life with, not this amazing job. So we, luck, time and chance overtake us all. And so Solomon saw this and he was like, just life is meaningless. It makes no sense. The next stop is that Solomon moves on and he determines that life is worse than meaningless. Life is evil is what he says. Chapter four, verses one through three. Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors. Power was on the side of their oppressors. Solomon observes that oppression in the world is the norm. We're in a unique, lucky time in history right now where we live in a place that is, for the most part, egalitarian. 
And we do have the opportunities here. But in most of the world and throughout most of human history, oppression was the norm. If you had power, you kept it. And you enjoyed your life at the expense of other people. And here's the thing about Solomon, and this is just, even in Israel, they had slaves. You did not want to be a woman in this time. Solomon had 700 wives. I can't even make a joke about that because that's just like crazy to think about. I mean, I just, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Even in Solomon's kingdom, as he is observing oppression, there is oppression right there. Oppression is the norm in history. Life is inherently unfair. Chapter 7, verse 15, in this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. I knew a pastor in Mexico, his name was Ruben, uh, Pastor Ruben Jimenez. And I, I don't know what happened to him because he was, I mean, just a great man. He worked at, he worked at the water purification plant all night to take care of his family. He was a pastor all day to take care of his church and his family as well. And he just was this godly, incredible man that we had the a, you know, opportunity to partner with uh, in Rio Bravo. Lived in a dirt floor cinder blocks house. The sewage ditch was about 25 feet from his back door, which he didn't have a door, he had a curtain hanging. Uh, he was educated, he was smart, great man. I mean, a man that I respected greatly. The last time I saw him, which was more than a decade ago, his front teeth had fallen out. Which, you know, unfair. And then right where he lived in the colonia where we were serving was, was ground zero for the drug wars. So we weren't even able to go back. But this is where this guy lived. He couldn't leave. Life is inherently unfair. And if you have any sense at all, you know that. And it's just offensive and difficult. Why is life so unfair? But Solomon moves on. He says, you know what? Chapter 9, verse 3. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes us all. So, yes, there is oppression. Yes, life is unfair. But you know what? We are all just going to die anyway. So let's pray and have a great week, guys. <laughs> yeah. I'm a pretty awful counselor, you know. So, um, but it, it's, it's true. We all will be leveled someday by the same thing. Solomon gets to the point in chapter 2. Verse 17, he says, so I hated life. I hated life. And I just want to stop here and just talk about depression. If you're a person who has dealt with, managed, struggled with 
dealing with it now, however you want to say it, if you're a person that is acquainted with depression, you're in really good company. Solomon, I don't know how else you could say it, he had to have been depressed. He was depressed. And I'll, I'll say this as well. Since I was a kid, I have managed moderate to severe depression my entire life. And for those of you who do not kind of, I mean, it's part of, some of how, how some of us are wired, what it's like, depression is like a weight vest. And sometimes the weight vest isn't really heavy. It's got maybe five or 10 pounds in it. You don't really notice it. Sometimes it's about 800 pounds and you can barely breathe. If you're a person that lives with and struggles through depression, keep struggling. Because what we learn from Solomon and what we know to be true is that the way to hope, the path to hope for those of us who struggle with depression is through depression. You walk through it. We don't really get to go around it. We go through it. But again, how? How do we do that? Well, Solomon found a way. Um, it's in chapter 8, verse 12. In spite of these feelings, Solomon chose to believe in a good God. Let me read it for you. This is the whole book of Ecclesiastes. If you want to know the theme of the entire book, this is it. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better for those who fear God and who are reverent before him. Although, although, Solomon says, in spite of these things, in spite of how meaningless life seems, in spite of how evil life seems, I am going to believe in a good God. I'm going to believe in a good God. Faith is like a light. It's not like this giant searchlight that illuminates every little nook and cranny and takes away all fear. It's just a light. It's enough for your next step, as the psalmist says in Psalm 119. I woke up a couple months ago in the middle of the night, and I was kind of blurry, and I was getting up, and I walked right into a wall. Wham! You know? And then I was really awake. Um, and I was lost in my own bedroom because I, I, I don't even, I, I, did, I could not tell because it was dark and I, I couldn't, I didn't know where I was in my own bedroom. And I was scared to take a step because, you know, breaking toes is no fun, especially in the middle of the night. So I was just like, and you know what I did? I took my watch light. <laughs> and what's crazy is it was enough. It was enough. It was enough to keep me from kicking the dresser. And eventually I found it my way to the light switch. In order to see in the darkness, you don't have to have a searchlight. In fact, God doesn't really give us a searchlight. He gives us faith, and that faith is enough. It's enough to see your next step. See, we choose belief. Belief is a choice. 
Belief in a good God is a choice. All belief is a choice. And we all choose to believe in lots of things that we cannot see or understand. You know, there are people who will argue and say, well, I really don't believe in anything unless I can, you know, see it or unless I, you know, see it with my own eyes or if I, you know, if I can't understand it. Or... And so the thing is we choose to believe, we choose to trust our very lives to things that we don't see or understand often. I doubt that there's many people, there are probably several, many people in this room who could describe in detail, who understand how the hydraulics of a computer-controlled braking system with ABS in a car works. And yet I doubt there's really anyone in this room who would hesitate to smash that brake pedal if you were about to hit something in your car. We choose to believe that. We, we believe that, that <laughs> you trust your very lives to it. That's belief. That's, that's trust. When you get in an, air, in an airplane, you, I've never stopped to talk to the pilot to, meet, to know his name or her name. I just trust. I trust my life. I'm flying 500 miles an hour at 20,000 feet in an aluminum tube. <laughs> and I'm just, yeah, the guy's got it. Trust it inherently. We all believe. We all trust. We have to choose to trust in a good God. Faith is like a light. And it's not as bright as I wished it was, but it is bright enough to see the next step. You might be sitting there thinking, but I, I don't know. I don't, you know, my faith, it's not, it's not strong enough. I, I, can't, I can't do it. I drive a truck that's got about 160,000 miles on it, and um, it doesn't exactly break like a sports car anymore. And I'm driving down this uh, service road on Interstate 75, and I'm um, doing about 50, and somebody pulls out right in front of me from a parked line of cars. And, you know, now my brakes on my truck, you know, they, I need to work on them, they do pads, you know, all this kind of stuff. They're not, they're not that strong. I, you know what? I'm going to, I mashed that brake as hard as I could. It's all I got. And thankfully, it was enough. It was enough. Just because your faith isn't as strong as what you would like doesn't mean you don't have it. And it doesn't mean that it's not enough. It is enough. You know it is enough because God has confirmed it through time and scripture. And what's, even, what's amazing about Solomon in this, Solomon didn't even have Jesus to look to. I know sometimes it's really difficult to believe in a good God. Lots of things happen that are evil and awful. But I know God is good because he didn't just leave us to kill ourselves. He sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus took all of the evil and all of the sins of the world upon himself for us so that we could be redeemed. I don't know why bad things happen, but I know that Jesus understands how bad things happen because he took them all upon himself for us. We can trust in him. Solomon chose to believe in a good God because he was wise. We can cho choose to believe in a good God because we are wise, but also because he sent Jesus for you.
Anyone who would do that, you should trust. You can trust him. Your faith is enough. It's enough. We can believe and trust God. Solomon writes this. Because God is never surprised when bad things happen. God is never surprised when bad things happen. This is one of the most beautiful pieces of literature in human history. Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. God is never surprised because life is seasonal for all of us. There are seasons of life that are difficult because that is what they are. I don't know why that happens, but we do know that it happens. There's times when life is amazing, but it's not gonna stay that way. You can know that for sure. Life is seasonal. And what's wise, the wise person, the person with hope, lives in the season in which they find themselves. They embrace the season in which you are in. There's a time in life when you should pursue a romance. You should go for it. Buy the roses, do it, go for that, go for the love. There's another time in life when you should not pursue a romance, when you should preserve a relationship that you already have. There's a time to work 70 hours a week. There's also a time that you should go home and invest in your family. There's a time to save money, but you know what? There's also a time you need to spend that money. There's a time to party, and there's a time to be really sad and it's okay to be really sad. Wisdom is living in the season in which you find yourself. We can fill the room with cliches about 30-year-old guys wearing letter jackets that are way too small, right? You know, like, we, the, we could, the cliches there of the, the woman who, sh, who has grown aged to the point where she shouldn't wear teenage clothes anymore, you know? Um, there's... You know, the cliche of the guy who's just hanging on to his bachelorhood for way too long. We could fill the world with these cliches, fill the room with these cliches. But I want to share just a quick story about a friend of mine. Uh, I worked with him uh, for a while, real sharp business leader, great sales professional, good dad, good husband. Uh, grew up in a home of tragedy. His father died when he was 12. Um, but just a solid dude. We were, we were driving to work together. We were carpooling. And we were, we were talking about sports. You know, we're two middle-aged guys talking about sports and our athletic endeavors, you know, which is always pitiful, you know. 
Uh, he is like the really good athlete, though. Um, marathoner, Ironman triathlon guy, you know, and, you know, and I have my stuff, which is nothing like that. But we're, we're talking about it, and uh, at that time, he had recently broken his ankle that had inter- interrupted his training for a marathon. And it healed, and it didn't quite heal with the same range of motion. And so, you know, we were talking about marathons, which I have run a marathon, so we had something to talk about, which is, that's a whole other story, but um, <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> but he just looks at me as we're talking about training. He says, you know, Jason, that's, he didn't even realize how, how much it impacted me. He said, you know, but that's like, that's fine. That's not my season life anyway. I'm coaching my kids football. You know, we've, I need to be at home with my kids. Like, I, don't, I can't be out training 20 hours a week anymore. That's for somebody else. That's a different life. And there's just such wisdom in that. There's such wisdom in just trusting God with the season that you're in. Yes, it may be a difficult season, but you can know that it's going to change at some point. Some point. I don't know when. You can be in that season and trust God. You don't necessarily have to fight it only. You can trust him, even when things are hard. That's wisdom. Living in the season. God is never surprised by the good or the bad seasons. We can trust him. So we choose to trust him. That's that's, That's hope, is you choose to trust in a good God for you, that's hope. That's where hope comes from. Romans eight twenty eight says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. In all things God works for the good. Now that good isn't necessarily make your house bigger. That good is to do something that God considers to be good. But he does work things for the good. You can trust him in that hard season. He'll work it out. He promises us. And let's just stop for a minute and think about Solomon. Solomon's father was David. Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. David took Bathsheba and committed adultery with her and killed Bathsheba's husband and then married her. Solomon was born from that marriage. I don't know how God does that. Solomon, third king of Israel, wisest man in the lineage of Jesus, child of David and Bathsheba. And 3,000 years later, we are sitting here reading what he wrote about hope. God can make bad seasons beautiful if we trust him. Solomon's path to hope. Life can seem meaningless. Life can seem evil. Trust in a good God anyway. Just trust him. Hit those brakes. Decelerate. And then live in the season in which you find yourself. Trust him. Ushers, if you guys will come down, we're gonna go, we'll do the offering here. I'm going to pray. As we pray, I'm going to ask you to do business with God.
If you're, if you're struggling with trusting him with something, I'm gonna encourage you to just try. It doesn't take a lot of light to find your way in the dark. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for Solomon. Thank you for how wise he was. God, thank you for the path to hope that he's defined for us. Lord, I pray that we would follow it. God, help us to live in the season that we're in. Help us to trust you completely. It's in Jesus' name we pray.